0: Welcome to NACE Clinical Highlights. I'm Dr. Robert Toto, Associate Dean for Translational Science and Professor of Internal Medicine at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. This is the first episode in a three-part series on the management of chronic kidney disease using a non-steroidal mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist and what you really need to know about it. Joining me today is my friend and colleague, Dr. George Backris. Dr. Bakris is a professor of medicine. He's also the director of the American Heart Association Comprehensive Hypertension Center at the University of Chicago School of Medicine in Chicago. George has been extensively involved as a principal investigator, as well as members of steering committees of major national and international clinical trials involving diabetic kidney disease, its progression, and resistance to hypertension as well. So glad you could join me here today, George. Happy to be here, Bob. In this first podcast episode, we're going to discuss the clinical risks of hyperkalemia in chronic kidney disease and ways to reduce these risks. And the risks we're concerned about are the risks for worsening kidney disease and mortality. So, George, uh, can you get us started here by describing for the listeners, you know, what factors can be easily measured in the clinic and that are also predictive of hyperkalemia in this patient population?
1: Well, Bob, fundamentally, you read all these reports about this disease and that disease, and they have laundry lists and tables and everything. It boils down to level of kidney function and level of baseline potassium. So as long as you know the GFR and if you know the potassium, you can actually predict who's going to develop hyperkalemia and who isn't, not with 100% certainty, but at least 90% certainty. And fundamentally, what it boils down to is people that have an estimated GFR of 45 or less and or, and or a baseline serum potassium on diuretics of greater than 4.5 are really the highest risk group. And fundamentally, common diseases that cause this, hypertension, diabetes, have been touted as risk factors for hyperkalemia. Well, the only reason they're risk factors is because they've actually caused kidney disease and resulted in the values that I just mentioned.
0: Right. And uh, I think it's important to point out that those two things that you just mentioned are, in fact, easily measured in the clinic. So that that's really a yep. value. One, one thing I wanted to bring up in terms of risk factors, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit later, but what about patients who use NSAIDs or case-bearing diuretics in this situation? Would, would you... Uh, comment
1: on that. There's absolutely no question that in taking a history, especially of a patient that you think is at high risk for hyperkalemia, you absolutely have to talk to them about salt substitutes or those people trying to be on low-sodium diets and the use of salt substitutes there. Use of non steroidal agents, especially people complaining about pain or aches, et cetera. Those are major, major factors that will contribute to the genesis of hyperkalemia.
0: Yeah, right. Okay, thanks very much. So, you know, this just dropping back a little bit, how do you define hyperkalemia? A lot of different uh, people use different levels of potassium to define hyperkalemia. And uh, can you give us some grounding on that?
1: Sure. So if you look at different laboratories, they kind of have different cut points and different guidelines have different gut points. If you, for me, putting it together and what I think most, at least nephrologists agree to, is if you've got a potassium of greater than 5.5, that's clearly hyperkalemia. If it's 5.1, 5.2, it's hard to make the argument that's hyperkalemia. So I, I think looking at event rates, looking at sudden death, looking at those kinds of things epidemiologically, they're generally not happening at potassiums in the low range. They're happening in the higher range. And so I think 5.5, greater than 5.5 is a reasonable cut point. What are your yeah. thoughts on that?
0: Well, no, I was I was just going to say that, you know, sometimes I see um, providers stopping ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers when the potassium is 5.0 because the upper limit in the lab is 4.9 or it's 5.0 and, yeah. you know, there's the drugs are being stopped and, uh, you know, that's what that, so I, I agree with you. I, 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 the parameters that you set out make a lot of sense to me and I, I tend to use those as guidelines and I surely agree with you that, you know, it's really the higher levels of potassium above six or seven that we really get concerned about the, you know, dangers of hyperkalemia. Right. Well, you've done a lot of clinical trials, as I mentioned uh, at the um, onset of the program here. How common are episodes of hyperkalemia in patients in clinical trials treated with RAS blockade? And, you know, RAS blockade obviously spans ARBs, ACEs, and now mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists. So you give us a little insight into that and, you know, maybe tell us uh, what the rates of hyperkalemia look like in the community as well. So
1: first of all, let's be very clear. The rates of hyperkalemia in clinical trials, regardless of whether you're talking about mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists or ACEs, ARBs, renin inhibitors, they're very different than what you see in the community. And that's because in the community, patients are not monitored anywhere near as closely as they are in trials. And moreover, the doses that physicians use are not the doses used in the trials. So that's Clearly increases the risk for hyperkalemia, but if you look at trials, the it depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at renal trials, the altitude trial, or the VA Nephron D trial, there was a significant incidence of hyperkalemia there. But they recruited patients into the trial with potassiums over five, and were using combinations of Aces and ARBs to try and further reduce the system. So clearly. Both those trials ended up being a failure because hyperkalemia precluded the uh, progression for safety reasons. The problem with the heart failure trials is there was no problem. They monitored it very carefully, and in HEFREF trials, the Rawls trial for example, the incidence rates of hyperkalemia were down in the range of 4 to 6%, and these are people with heart failure and kidney disease. But as you know, after the Rawls trial was published, there was a couple of years later, there was a publication from the Canadians saying that this was crazy and the hyperkalemia was 15%, 20%, very high rates, except when you went back and looked, the doses that were used were doubled to triple what was used in the trial there was no surveillance at all of the patients. So you really need to understand that this is not like writing a DPP-4 or these agents that you just write, they have no side effects and off they go. You have to monitor these patients that really can benefit from these therapies, but you can't just Write it and forget. You know, it's not uh, the old Ron Popiel approach. Uh, set it and forget it. You you have yeah. to follow these people, and you have to f- mimic what the clinical trials did.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important point about the difference between trials and and in the clinic. Because as you pointed out with the Rouse trial, that, that was a big deal when it it uh, turned out that in the community they were seeing these exorbitant rates of hyperkalemia in comparison to what we see in the trial, for exactly the reason that that you gave it, and you know the that's what we tend to see um, when d- drugs that are we use it you know rigidly in clinical trials get used at higher doses or at increased frequency. And sometimes we see more complications than, than we expected from the trials. So, well, I, anyway, um, going back to the um, minorella corticoid receptor antagonist, um, you know, what, what is the um, 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 general view about uh, uh, the, these drugs and as well as the, the ACE inhibitors in terms of how you um, use them a, a appropriately in uh, in combination, because you brought that up, you know the point that some of these trials where we've seen hyperkalemia, it, uh, it was when you use combination therapy. So, right. Right. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the dosing the guideline there? What you
1: yeah sure. Well, the 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 clinical trials have had people on Aces and ARBs, and some trials have mandated that they're on maximal tolerated doses and other trials have just said you're on an ACE or an ARB and it didn't matter what the dose was. Then when you add a mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, we now have two classes of mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists. We have the steroidal agents, spironolactone and plurinone, and we have a bigger class actually of non-steroidal agents, including finerenone and other agents that are uh, being developed around the world. The yeah. hyperkalemia rates are different with spironolactone and aplerinone than compared to finerenone, at least when looked at in clinical trials. And again, all of them need monitoring. All of them can be given. In fact, there's specific guidance for finerenone that just came out by the FDA in terms of using it. By the way, you can start these people on finerenone up to a potassium of five. So, so much for hyperkalemia being defined as 4.9 or whatever you want to define it as. So, you can use it up to five. You have to monitor it, but the cut point is 5.5. The the incidence, I mean, we looked at this in the trial. We never measured potassium until one month into the trial. So- yeah. Why did we do that? Because we knew from the phase two studies that the potassium was not going to go up very much if we advised the patient about low potassium diets in advance and monitored them in terms of their behaviors. And these patients already knew what to expect and were cooperative. So I think that's the, the, where we are. It's, it's different depending on the GFR of the patient, depending on how well they're going to be adherent to the diet and um, what their baseline potassium was.
0: Right. And I think it's a really um, great opportunity to educate the patient, as you just pointed out, about low potassium diets and avoiding things that might aggravate um, their risk for hyperkalemia if they're being put on any sort of RAS blocker. Um, and, and you know, to that um, point about the RAS blocker, we, you know, you and I have seen that Sometimes uh, people decrease the dose of a RAS blocker or stop RAS blockers in the setting where patients ha- uh, can benefit from the drug and their kidney disease is progressing. And part of that uh, is because of the hyperkalemia. So what are, what are your thoughts on that in terms of continuing versus discontinuing um, RAS blockers when people with, say, stage 3, 4 CKD um, are progressing down kidney so-
1: so that's an excellent that's an excellent question and and I first of all there's excellent evidence in people with stage four CKD that if you treat them with a RAS blocker at good doses you will not only reduce uh, progression to ESRD but you will also reduce all cause mortality beautiful paper in the JAMA Internal Medicine uh, published last year in a large uh, database of like almost 3,000 patients. So I think it's important to understand that you can use these agents. It's important that you're not getting, you, you're under the delusion that you're getting the benefit if you reduce the dose by 50%. You're not. There's very good data published looking at this saying if you reduce the dose by 50%, okay, you're going to get probably 30% of the benefit that you would get at the maximal dose. So it's it's important to know that there's published data that do not support these kind of homeopathic doses. Now, the good news, and this is what I do, is if I feel strongly that the patient's going to benefit and clearly potassium's an issue and they're doing everything humanly possible, I pull out the potassium binders. And there are now two studied long long-term potassium binders that have been given daily to patients, and both show good tolerability, good safety, and good efficacy. And in fact, I call them enablers because they enable you to give life-saving therapy to patients who normally couldn't get it because their kidney function is not where it should be.
0: Yeah, well, that's a perfect segue into what I was just about to get into. And that was, you know, um, it looks like, you know, clinicians in general need to be taking a different approach in terms of medication management in in patients with progressing kidney disease, as you clearly pointed out. So, you know, we're obviously not uh, performing optimally here. So, as you just suggested, there are some things that we can do to mitigate that or improve our, uh, quote, under import, underperformance, unquote, if you will. W- what would you say about that?
1: Yeah, well, there's, it's pretty easy to improve the underperformance since it's really on the low end anyway. But one of the key things right. is get rid of the fear factor and not worry about the potassium going to 5.1 um, and really understand that these agents, the ACEs and the ARBs, are quite good. And in fact, as I think we've already talked about, if you reduce the dose because you're worried about hyperkalemia, you're really not allowing the patient to get the maximal benefit. So the only really way you can do this is to keep the dose at the maximally tolerated dose and make sure the patient is on a low potassium diet. Make sure they've been educated, and if their potassium's creeping five two five three and you're scared, not a problem, because you whip out. The enablers, what are the enablers? There's two agents on the market that have been out for now going on, in one case, seven years, in the other case, four years, and they're basically potassium binders. No, they're not your mother's k They work very differently. One is called Potiramir, known to you as Veltasa, and the other one is SZS, known to you as Lokelma. They work totally differently. I'm not going to get into that right now. But the point is, they're well-tolerated. They can be used daily for periods of as long as a year and longer because that's been studied and published. And I think it's important to understand that they can keep these people's potassiums down in the ranges in the fours, and you can keep going with ACEs and ARBs therapy. And in fact, they do it in a dose-dependent fashion. So they're available. There are many, many benefits to doing this. And there are mechanisms of affordability that are easily uh, found uh, to help the patients facilitate their costs and keep them low for this therapy to get the benefit.
0: George, listen, I, I want to thank you very much for taking time to speak with me and share your expertise on the CKD and how we can reduce the risk of hyperkalemia in our patients. And uh, it's been really great talking to you, as always, and um, I think that you've really provided a lot of great information, very practical stuff for the for our colleagues out there today. So,
1: Well, Bob, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to interact, and um, I hope this was useful.
0: If you are interested in learning more about the evolving management of chronic kidney disease and the role of mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists, please join us for the second part of my discussion with George titled, CKD and cardiovascular risk, the evolving connection. You can also go to the NACE website at naceonline.com and register for any of our other enduring activities on CKD or any other program we have developed. Please like us on Facebook as well at NACE CME to be part of our online social media community and get access to other content and programs we share. Finally, I wanna thank you, our audience, for joining us for this podcast. I hope you've learned something new you can bring back to your practice, and we look forward to having you join us for other upcoming podcasts in the future.